0: The title of tonight's talk is Daring the Impossible, Bodhichitta, the Altruistic Motivation. Altruistic means, since I'll use the word all the time, I'll explain it, it means for the welfare or for the benefit of many or of all. Altruistisch zum Wohle vieler oder aller. And is a fundamental motivation of our thoughts and actions which keeps in mind the well-being of many or of all. It's so eine grundlegende Motivation hinter unserem Denken und Tun, welche das Wohlergehen vieler oder aller im Auge hat. A somewhat common motivation When we meditate, or even in our spiritual practice in general, we want to solve our problems, we want to get rid of our troubles, and we like to live a pleasant life. Wish for happiness, cheerfulness, serenity, and wisdom. And it can be many things on a scale scale from wellness to effective therapy to pleasant or lofty meditation experiences it's all very meaningful, it's all justified, and also somewhat self-centered. There's this famous cartoon, I think I told the story before also, it's one that only works in in German, so I apologize for the non-German speakers, to the non-German speakers. A couple sits in the living room. Sie löst Kreuzworträtsel und fragt den Mann, der neben ihr im Sessel sitzt, Weltmacht mit drei Buchstaben. Und der überlegt einen Moment und brüllt dann, Ich... <lacht> Practice the cultivation of an altruistic motivation and of an orientation towards the welfare of many opens up the narrow-mindedness of our self-centeredness. In a meditation, for the sake of I, of me, it'd be a lot more difficult to open to liberating insights, I would think as long as I want to have a certain experience, there will be problems because it's all relatively narrow. Many Mahayana texts and teachings speak about the disadvantages and shortcomings of self-centered, self-centered inner attitude. This kind of inner attitude is compared to a chronic disease, A chronic disease, which in addition causes all kinds of painful side effects. Chronic disease means it keeps on being painful. And it keeps on being painful because of the narrowness of the self-centeredness. And all kinds of additional problems arise, which means a lot of suffering. Self-centeredness makes it impossible for us to really fully achieve our spiritual goals because it's always gross or subtle forms of self-cherishing of egotism which causes us inner suffering which keeps us apart from liberation. Self-centeredness is actually the root of all troubles and all difficulties. This fact, though, can only be recognized if we constantly look at and observe the effects of our inner motivations. But fact remains self-centeredness is always the most unskillful of all possibilities. Even if it even it seems like it's the most natural thing. It's the thing that where we can get the most the, get the most of what we want. It's also quite hard, I feel, to understand why we spontaneously choose this attitude quite often. And in my guess or my theory, it's an old formative influence conditioned by evolutionary circumstances. It was probably practical for quite a long time through evolution. Evolutionsbedingt. And that's why it's so uh, tenacious. So it's not our fault. It's our conditioning. And that's important. It's not our fault. That's what life did with us for whatever reasons. Must have made sense. So it's important to understand here, I'm not speaking of good or bad here. I'm not saying that we should not be self-centered or egotistical. It's not about being moralistic. Rather, it's all about an objective, clear investigation of what it is that causes suffering to ourselves and others and what it is that causes genuine happiness to ourselves and others. Bodhicitta attitude or practice can help us to shift the perspective of self-centeredness or dilute it slowly, make it less intense. And that's very meaningful. The great uh, Chan Master Cheng Yen said, and uh, Master Cheng Yen, we had the great fortune to have him here about eight years ago for a retreat, very wonderful person. He said, we will only have limited success in our practice if we merely try to help ourselves. The greatest result will occur when we try to be of benefit to others. Therefore, being of help to others is seen as the first step on the path to liberation. And Shantideva Deva the well-known 8th century Indian bodhisattva and poet wrote. Bodhicitta, the altruistic attitude, is the best medicine for healing the disease or the suffering of this world. It's like a big tree that protects all beings who exhaustedly wander on the endless paths of this conditioned existence. Here's an illustration of the effects of bodhicitta that's often given in some Buddhist traditions. It says that genuine Dharma practice is like the light of the sun, like the light of the sun shining through a window into an otherwise dark room, the room thereby getting bright and light. That's uh, very wonderful effect that has. Now, bodhicitta practice is compared to the sun in the wide open sky, shining impartially on the earth, even throughout the whole universe, unrestricted everywhere. So what is this altruistic attitude or motivation of Bodhicitta, exactly. Here a quote by Joseph Goldstein. In Buddhist practice, we develop awareness of the motivations that underlie each of our actions. We also open to the possibility of expanded aspirations, enlarging our sense of what we can accomplish <laughs> in our lives. Bodhicitta A Sanskrit and Pali word that literally means awakened heart is the deep aspiration to awaken from the dream of ignorance in order to benefit all beings. It is the dedication of our spiritual practice and our lives to the happiness and welfare of all. this whole bodhicitta attitude thought as its origin in Mahayana Buddhism. It's re- The resolve to do all that's needed to fully awaken so as to be of greatest benefit for living beings, which implies to realize complete liberation from all confused, de- deluded, and all tormenting states of heart and mind, the kleshas. And in addition, to perfect the beautiful qualities such as generosity, as wisdom, as compassion, called the paramitas. No matter what it takes, no matter how long it takes, it's really a big deal. Obviously, one would need quite a few lifetimes or maybe many lifetimes to accomplish this Now for those of us who who cannot relate to several lifetimes, past and future ones, which probably quite a few of us, bodhicitta can be understood or expressed more simply, but not less meaningfully. Something like, may I understand this life fully and may I live it in accordance with this understanding for the sake and benefit of many. It's somewhat different from compassion. Compassion as an immediate response to the moment of encountering suffering. Try to point out the difference. The beautiful quality of compassion arises In the moments we allow our hearts to be touched by suffering. Now that's what we practice when we practice the Karuna meditation. Similar to what we do this week. Sympathetic joy arises when we manage somehow to contact the happiness of oneself or others. Then it comes by itself. Compassion arises whenever... We're in contact with the suffering of others. And there's no aversion coming in between and all that. And that then moves us to do what's possible to alleviate that suffering. and aponikatera in a verse, describes this power of compassion. He says, it is compassion that removes... The heavy bar opens the door to freedom, makes the narrow heart as wide as the world. Compassion takes away from the heart the inert weight, the paralyzing heaviness, and it gives wings to those who cling to the lowlands of self or who don't cling anymore to the lowlands of self. Now, bodhicitta is... Different in that is, it is a more basic fundamental aspect of compassion, one could say. It's a, a, a fundamental underlying attitude, sort of, we could say, a life defining motivation, even a resolve to train our hearts and minds such that the well being of all beings becomes the natural and uh, spontaneous core concern. Of our lives, it doesn't even mean we're always compassionate or we're always, always just doing in, in uh, doing things in wise or appropriate ways. But the basic, very basic outlook of life is open—the openness towards all beings. Daya Pramodche the Tibetan Lama who lives in Germany, he suggests, to make this way of life more comprehensible for us, we should try to imagine what this would mean and how this would feel. How might it feel to have unfolded the radiant heart and mind which includes all living beings in boundless kindness? How might this feel? A way of thinking and being free from excluding or judging or discriminating others. A natural way of being which exclusively consists of the wish to offer appropriate support to beings. And then, Daya Brimpoche cautions, yet of course, all the knowledge about bodhicitta isn't enough. Only when we allow our hearts to be touched can we experience the joyful, consciousness-expanding, even awe felt sense of appreciation for the magnificence of the bodhicitta motivation. So this much about what it is. And before I talk about the usefulness and the actual practice of bodhicitta, a few words about a common misunderstanding, mostly among us Westerners. We hear about the resolve or even the vow of the bodhisattvas. Suffering beings are numberless, may I liberate them all. And instead of being inspired by this vision, we fall into panic. What? Me? I have to liberate them all? Horror, Überforderung, stress, burnout are the scenarios which immediately (laughs) arise in our mind. I mean, you know, it's crazy. It's nuts. Here Joseph Goldstein again. But is this a realistic aspiration for us? Is it really possible to cultivate such an altruistic motivation, given the great mix of qualities within our minds and hearts? Even His Holiness the Dalai Lama has said in his proverbial humility, I cannot pretend to have bodhicitta, but deep inside me, I realize how valuable and beneficial it is. When we too can recognize how precious and how helpful bodhicitta is, we can plant the seed of bodhicitta in our hearts and then allow the seed or the seeds to take root and to grow in our life. We can make it a practice to begin every day and every meditation with the intention or resolve, may I attain liberation for the welfare of beings. And Asian practitioners, they say, may I soon attain liberation for the welfare of beings. Here I will be careful because when we say soon, there's again, you know, we really have to hurry up and we're already hurrying up quite a bit, so may I, it's good at some point. Another point that needs to be made, I feel, in this connection is the one of excluding or including oneself. Sometimes people hear that we should care for all beings and this in their minds, obviously seems to exclude themselves. It often says, for the welfare of others, that means everybody else except me. It's quite a strange but sometimes quite deep misconception many of us have, which maybe comes from our Judeo Christian cultural conditioning. We're somehow not worthy of the same respect or appreciation and care than all others. We even may feel strange or awkward to, di- to direct metta or mudita or karuna towards ourselves as we do it here. And of course, we are one of all beings. Even by excluding ourselves from all beings, from all beings, we're actually making ourselves very, very special. It's a strange thing, you know, like I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy like everybody else. Makes me very special. I, me, mine, am different from seven billion other people. Wow! So I think it's so essential to include ourselves in all beings. It always includes all of us. And it deepens our sense of connectedness, of verbundenheit, rather than making ourselves special, other, different. And now some more to the question: What's it good for? One important aspect I already mentioned. Bodhicitta can free us from our narrowness and self-centeredness and its effects it has on ourselves and on others often as well. Then in the same text about self-centeredness being like a chronic disease the advantages of altruism of Bodhicitta are described as well. The altruistic attitude is being compared to a wish-fulfilling jewel. Something like tishlein dektig or, you know, wish-fulfilling jewel. It's the jewel, when you have it, it fulfills all the wishes. Very different from a chronic disease, isn't it? The mind of bodhicitta endeavors to fulfill the wishes, the needs of beings, and to offer what creates wholesomeness in them, and in that way, of course, create wholesomeness in oneself. In this way, positive and wholesome forces and energies are engendered here and there. You could say it's an inner win-win attitude. Shantideva wrote this well-known verse there's one more is there to say the childish only work for their own benefit. The Buddhas work for the benefit of all. Just look at the difference between them. It says enough. Another point that I find really interesting is the question of meaning of um, sin. How meaningful or not meaningful our life feels is quite relevant, isn't it? We tend to believe that it's a matter of reason. You know, something makes sense or something has meaning or doesn't. But really, meaning or sin, sin in German, I mean. And it was Sinn macht, okay? It could also be English. the way it's understood here is a feeling. And whether something feels meaningful or not depends on our closeness or connectedness with it. Our verbundenheit in all that. Connectedness with oneself, connectedness with others lets us experience life as meaningful. And the reverse is true too. The feelings of separateness, of alienation, of meaninglessness and depression very often come together, are closely associated with one another. Meaning also emerges when we fully devote ourselves to something, you know, put our whole being into something, even collecting stamps. And that sense of it being meaningful lasts as long as we can be fully present with it, completely devoted to whatever it is. Devote ourselves to it. Whether it's the walking meditation or it's working for the welfare of living beings. And of course, devotion to all of life Is more demanding, but obviously also more fulfilling. And bodhicitta means devotion and creates deep connectedness. And since it's a basic underlying attitude, it creates that general sense of connectedness in one's life. Plus the actual moments when we connect. So in this way, it makes life profoundly meaningful. As or this altruistic attitude, becomes increasingly genuine, it matters also less and less what's in it for ourselves. It's about many beings, including ourselves, but not just about this single one here. My teacher Geshe Rappen gave... The following illustration, he uh, was a farmer boy, grew up as a, on a farm. This is when one plows and sows in order to harvest grain, there will also be a side product, namely straw. Just as one plows and sows in order to get grain, not straw, even so one cultivates boricita for the sake of many not just one. Yet, just as with the harvest of grain, straw comes as a side product, with the blossoming of bodhicitta, a deep sense of connectedness, of meaning and fulfillment arises in us as a side product. Should we try to develop bodhicitta for our own sake, it's not going to work. They know this. So, a wonderful side product. Last topic in this connection. No, last topic, long one. What are the practices which lead us in the direction of bodhicitta? And there are countless ones. I'll mention a few. Maybe the most important prerequisite is our willingness and our capacity to open for the happiness and the suffering of others as much as that the one of ourselves. <coughs> An opening for the happiness, at least we've just trained for six days, so we start to really be able to do that. Then it certainly would be very. Useful to follow Joseph Goldstein's suggestion to make the resolve or to remember. May I reach liberation for the welfare of all beings. Maybe every morning, maybe beginning one's day, maybe when you wake up, first thought or second thought. At the beginning of every meditation, just to open, remember, we can open nothing dramatic but if we remember over and over and over again it does something in this way the thought of bodhicitta will slowly but more and more often appear in our life then the regular formal practice of kindness of compassion and of appreciation metta karuna mudita it's a very good basis too. It's what we practice during this week. So, no need to say more about it. So, daily reminder and reinforcement of the motivation, even to remember it, is quite something. You know, think, oh, you know, it would be a possibility to open to all beings. Then I may forget after three minutes. But to remember again, oh, right, yeah, that's a possibility. Forget it again. You know, find ourselves in our little stuff. And say, oh, wow, could be. And each time the, the perspective shifts a little bit, things get wider. And then practicing the metta and or karuna and or mudita Meditations. A great support are the reflections about on our dependence on other living beings to think about that every so often. I never I had one teacher. she would make us do the reflections at the beginning of the meals. I always hated it. Imagine you would have to wait to eating until I show up and do the reflections with you. I don't know how much you would like it. So I, I would never do it. But I think it's actually a good idea to do it <laughs> sometimes. Not, I don't mean it's a good idea to come and do it with everybody. I mean it's a good idea to do it oneself. For a short moment even. You know, to remember. To look, oh. I mean we can look, oh, I like this stuff, what is this? What is this? You know, wonder, what, what's the recipe for this? I want this <laughs> recipe. Or, uh, you know, whatever we can think. Or not think anything and start eating quickly. Um, the reflection on our dependency. When we look at the food, there's so many things that happen, so many beings involved until it finally stands there or sits there in our plate. But also we're dependent on our parents, or we're dependent on our parents, and on all who fed us, all who took care of us, all who fostered us, all who educated us and taught us the many, many thousands of things we need to learn as kids and growing up and as grown-ups. We depend on road and house construction workers, Somebody built this thing, you know. I have no clue how you do any of this. Some will probably would, but I wouldn't. We depend on truck and train drivers, on farmers here and in distant countries, you know, maybe for coffee or, or whatever, many things. Much of the stuff we eat comes from China now. I often look where it comes from. It's surprising. Then we depend on tradesmen and tradeswomen, on cooks, obviously, and those who help the cooks, of course, and so forth. We also depend on animals, on plants. We depend on rain, on sun, on fresh air. Endless chains of things we depend on. And we wouldn't live without. We constantly live at the expense of others in many ways. And off the work of others, dependent on a thousand causes and conditions. This is uh, Martin Luther King who wrote. It's called The Vision of Interconnectedness. It really boils down to this that all life is interrelated. We're all caught in an inescapable net of mutuality, tied into a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly, affects all indirectly. We are made to live together because of the interrelated structure of reality. Did you ever stop to think that you can't leave for your job in the morning without being dependent on most of the world? You get up in the morning and go to the bathroom, reach over for the sponge, and that's handed to you by a Pacific Island Islander. You reach for a bar of soap, and that's given to you at the hands of a French person. And then you go into the kitchen to drink your coffee for the morning, and that's poured into your cup by a South American. And maybe you want tea, that's poured into your cup by a Chinese Or maybe you're desirous of having cocoa for breakfast. And that's poured into your cup by a West African. And then you reach over for your toast. And that's given to you at the hands of an English-speaking farmer, not to mention the baker. And before you finish eating breakfast in the morning, you've you've depended on more than half of the world. This is the way our universe is structured. This is its interrelated quality. And we're not going to have peace on Earth until we recognize this basic fact of the interrelated structure of all reality and of us beings, of course, us human beings. We can begin in a relatively systematic way or random way, that's fine too, to recognize, to acknowledge, and maybe to appreciate this fact. And we can even cultivate the wish to return or to repay the support we receive, to pay back in wholesome and useful ways as far as we are able. So, regular reinforcement by remembering or using the verses. Metta, Karuna, Mudita, meditation. Reflecting on our dependence on all beings in many ways. And furthermore, we can reflect regularly on the fact that all are just the same as we, in that all wish for exactly the same as we do. And would like to avoid exactly the same as we do. It's a totally simplistic kind of reflection. You know, there's absolutely nothing new in it. Uh, In the Tibetan tradition, they tell you to do that very often because it makes something, uh, it has an effect that it hasn't have if we just say, oh, I know, it's obvious. It says, we don't want to suffer Obviously, we don't want to have to feel any pain. Don't want to be hungry. We don't want to be cold. All others, without exception, don't want to suffer. Don't want to have to feel any pain. Don't want to be hungry or to be cold. Rather, we wish to be healthy and happy. We like to be respected and loved. All others wish to be healthy and happy. They like to be respected and loved, just as we do. So not only are we dependent on other beings in countless ways, but we're also very much alike. We're surprisingly alike. So that's how we can reflect on the equality between oneself or ourselves and others. Then the reflection and contemplation and applied practice of exchanging oneself with others also very valuable <coughs> and more demanding or challenging, but also more interesting. practicing to take the place of another person, you know the, taking you know standing on the other side of a politician of another politi- political party. I find that very difficult. And imagine what their reasons are and how it feels to live that way, to be grown up in their kind of setting. You know, not looking from here, but looking really from there. To take the place of a beggar or the guy who uh, asks you for change, Limunt, or the place of a CEO, a corporate executive director, maybe of Novartis or of the UBS or whatever. Really take the other place. And the place of a construction worker, you know, this summer when it was so hot. In Switzerland, they always do the roads in the summer vacations because there's less traffic and there's no work traffic. It was incredible sometimes. And not well paid either. Take the place of a difficult colleague at work. Take the place of our upset partner, take the place of our hurt partner, take the place of the winner, or take the place of the loser. An American, a Native American saying goes, don't judge anyone until you have walked in his or her moccasins for two weeks. Important that we do all this out of interest, of course. We need some inspiration and a kind of enthusiasm. Enthusiasm for that kind of inner growth. Then a lot can be achieved. So again, regularly remembering, and reinforcing the motivation. Metta Karuna Mudita meditation. Thinking about depending on so many others in so many ways then the equality of us and others, changing, exchanging place with others. Another great method to cultivate bodhicitta is the practice of what's called tonglen, which means taking and giving. In First, in formal meditation, one visualizes taking on to oneself the difficulties, misfortunes, and the suffering of others, And then giving away, offering one's own well-being, one's happiness, one's possessions, one's knowledge and wisdom to others. And let's just imagine first, okay? It's like with metta or mudita. We imagine it, we see the person, and the person is kind of smiling, you know, the difficult person. And then we can connect. In real life, the person might not be smiling, so it's more difficult. So here, too, first we practice Trockenübung, um, maybe. We imagine this in all kinds of situations with all kinds of beings, so that we become familiar with this inner movement of taking and giving. Since we even remember that that would be a possibility, I find often that a uh, If I remember, I'll do it, but often I forget because it's not automatic enough. And taking and giving means really compassion and generosity. I describe it in different words. We practice it so as to remember it more often in our daily life make it into a more natural, spontaneous inner attitude. We could, for example, visualize a great number of people who are hungry. Our world has about one billion by now, one billion of people, a milliard, suffering from hunger and malnutrition. And then imagine taking their suffering on us and imagine the sense of their relief and then picture ourselves giving them food and drink. My uh, One of my teachers, the late uh, Geshe-Champolotra, he uh, spoke a little bit of Swiss German. He had been in Switzerland as a refugee. So he would explain all this uh, practice and he would say, Du gibst immer a ganzi micro So. You give away um, (laughs) this whole micro supermarkets full of food. They always said, you know, how nice they were when they came in from, you know, wherever, India, into those markets. You know, those halls of food. You don't know what to choose because there's so much stuff. Anyway, that's the scale on which we (laughs) offer And you give away all your possessions. You train first, okay? (laughs) And then you imagine their relief, their joy, and their well-being. And then we do the same, taking away their physical suffering, imagining their relief, and giving them our own well-being, imagining their happiness. Then we do the same, taking their emotional suffering on us, giving them whatever ease, joy, serenity, and peace we have. And finally we take their ignorance on us and give them whatever clarity and understanding and wisdom we may have now and in the future. If we think we don't have enough now we can think all the wisdom we'll ever have we already give them away on, you know, wisdom credit card, you sort of <laughs> give it before you have it. Then again to visualise beings liberated joyful, and wise. And, of course, then we have to begin to do this more and more in our actual daily life. And I think all these amazing practices, recalling the motivation every day, Brahma Vihara practices, dependency on others, reflection on the equality, and exchanging self with others, taking, and giving. As a last possibility, I would like to mention what's called lojong in Tibetan. It's the heart and mind transformation practice. A lot of it has to do with training to change our way of thinking about ourselves and others. And some of it is quite outrageous, you know, when they do it. My teacher, Geshe when we heard about it, we really wanted the teachings. And he you know, he would be quite open in, in giving teachings, but with this one he was very reluctant, and we could t- tell, you know, he couldn't find the text, which, you know, looking back at it you now, it was kind of weird. Um, it's We found out it's so uh, extreme that he thought, we just think it's ridiculous, you know. We'll never do it anyway, but even, you know, not see how amazing it could be. Um the classic examples are, you have a person that's very difficult, let's say at your workplace or wherever, really difficult person. And of course you try to practice metta and you try to practice patience and all of the skillful means at your disposition. But now applying logical practice, you would think in the following way. This person gives me the opportunity to practice patience and tolerance. It is very special and precious to have this kind of practice opportunity. We don't have this so easily, so this is quite amazing. It'll bring me much closer to liberation much quicker. And um, they're actually making themselves quite unpopular and unliked, even hated. And they get all this unwholesome karma for themselves, while I will get this great benefit. You know, through this practice opportunity. Amazing to have this person. Then one thinks further on. You know, teachers, gurus, lamas in the Tibetan tradition, very important, sort of central to uh, the devotion for the teachers. So thinking, my teachers are very precious and helpful they offer all the teachings of the Dharma and all the necessary support. But generally, not always, but generally they're reasonably nice people, so I don't really need to practice too much of patience and tolerance and so forth with them. On the other hand, this difficult person in my life, or many of them, they do offer me exactly this opportunity and therefore are even a lot more precious than my own teachers. (laughs) This is why it says in one of the famous Lojong texts, when I meet wicked people who create lots of suffering, I will deeply cherish these rare ones as if I had found a precious treasure. You see why Keshe was reluctant to even tell us. When those I fostered and trusted hurt and harm me, I will look at them, upon them as my greatest teachers. As we can see here, the practice goes beyond our often sort of nice sending some metta or mudita to friends. But it's obviously very demanding, yeah, this form. And of course, we may not really want to practice in this way. Nobody says we should, we have to. But I feel like it's awesome and inspiring to see, even to see how radical practice can be. And I know I have had the the chance and uh, and the good fortune to meet people who have been practicing that way and they have been amazing people. So if you'd like to practice Lo Chong There's also a greatly modified and softened um, but good version of this by Pema Chodron in her book, Start Where You Are. Many of you must have uh, read it. It's Beginne, Wot du bist in uh, German. Many good books by her, but that's the one where she uh, teaches this Lachung practice, but in a way, you know, a little less extreme that we can actually work with. For those who are really more seriously interested in these practices, um, I prepared two lists, and I'll put them out at some point. One is a short list of texts and talks on these topics in German, and the other one contains a few verses, which you can use for daily recitation of refuge, bodhicitta, and dedication. It may actually hang in the frame there even, in that black uh, uh, picture frame. Second one, probably well-known to many of you. I'd like to close. Close with a verse by the Dalai Lama. It's called, Never Give Up. No matter what is going on, never give up. Develop the heart. Too much energy in our countries is spent developing the mind instead of the heart, meaning the intellect. Be compassionate, not just to your friends, but everyone. Be compassionate. Work for peace in your heart and in the world. Work for peace. And I say again, never give up. No matter what is happening, no matter what is going on around you, never give up.